going to begin this evening in Acts chapter 5, read just a portion of the narrative concerning Ananias and Sapphira, and we of course studied this story in much more detail a few weeks ago, as you recall. We read here, beginning in verse 1, that a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. We have touched on the concept of the Lord's money in a number of lessons, including the one that we had on Ananias and Sapphira. In a number of different uh, sermons that we've looked at, here relatively recently, and you'll find that not only in the New Testament do we see this concept of our money becoming the Lord's money when we give it to Him, but we see that throughout the Old Testament as well. We had not long ago looked at the story of Achan back in the book of Joshua, and you recall there how In that context, the Lord had designated certain things to be donated to his treasury. And we also even saw this morning in what we had looked at with Judas, how that when he threw the 30 pieces of silver back to the priests, that they were discussing amongst themselves about how they couldn't put it in the treasury because... It was money that was considered blood money. So we see that designation throughout the scriptures, and as I was thinking about different things that we might study tonight, I thought it would be a good question to look at, the question of how should we spend the Lord's money. As the church today, we know we have the command, we're going to notice that here before too long, we have the command to give on the first day of the week. We've done that even today. And we know that, as we saw there in the illustration or the story of Ananias, that once that money is given, uh, that it becomes God's. Well, that implies that that money has a special purpose, that there is certain things that would be acceptable to use it for and certain things that would be unacceptable to use it for. And so we're going to study some of that looking at the scriptures, of course, to find our answers uh, with our time tonight. As I said, we certainly have the responsibility to give, and we had mentioned that a moment ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is one passage that we see this command plainly stated. Now here we find the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, concerning the collection for the saints, As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. So this shows us here that this was not something unique to those in Corinth, but this was something that was 
a command for all the congregations throughout the known world that had been established. And what is the command? Verse 2, he says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So this was to be their regular, uh, every week uh, process. And so the purpose for which was to collect this money for the saints in need. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7 speaks to what our attitude needs to be in regards to giving. There Paul, again writing, he says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now if you go back and study in the law of Moses, we know that they had a certain percentage of their income that they were required to give. Uh, 10% of their income was to be dedicated to the Lord. Now, God has not given us that same stipulation under the law of Christ. We are simply to purpose in our heart whatever amount that we can cheerfully give for the purposes of God. And on this note, I thought it was good to look at Luke 21, where Jesus here is observing different ones who were putting their gifts into the treasury. Now, the treasury here would refer to uh, the treasury under the law of Moses. This was not yet uh, at the time of the church's establishment. Jesus was still alive here. And so he looks up and sees the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Verse 2 says that he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So in comparison with what these others were giving, this was just, we might say, pocket change, right? You might think of a couple pennies that we would find in the back seat under the cushion or something like that. Not going to be able to, to purchase all that much with uh, these two mites. But notice what Jesus says, uh, despite the contrast in the amounts. He says, truly I say that this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Seems like a strange thing to say, given what we know about the value of this, this money and these gifts. But he explains why this is the case. He goes on and says, all of these, referring to the rich ones that have been putting in these great amounts, he says, all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But he says, she, out of her poverty, has put in all the livelihood that she had. And so, here again, this illustrates the, the previous point, that it's not about exactly how much we are giving, it's, it's the attitude that we have when we give. And that is what God is concerned with, that's what God is impressed by, even. And we see that Jesus was impressed with this widow and her generosity, despite not having all that much at all to give. So, we certainly have the command, and... I guess the next logical question that we would ask then, well, we see this command was there and we see this money was collected and maybe we kind of get a, an idea just in the context of these other passages what maybe that was used for, but what did the church use this money for? Because that's going to help us understand what we should be using it for today. We're striving, of course, to be the church that Jesus established. This is what we're reading about in the scriptures. There's really two main categories of use that we can find when we look into the pages of the New Testament. 
And the first of those is we see the church using the collected funds to aid saints that would be in need in some way. In Romans chapter 15, and verse 25 there beginning, Paul is writing, and he says, Now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints there. For it pleased those, notice from Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And so here we have examples not just of a congregation supporting its own, but we find that there were certain congregations actually sending gifts to other saints in other places that were in need. And sometimes we see that today where we'll hear of a congregation in another location that maybe a, a natural disaster has struck, and maybe a lot of the saints there found their uh, physical possessions wiped out and are in need of certain things, certain necessities. And I know even the congregation here in times past has set money to support saints in other places. And we, of course, see the biblical precedent for that practice. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, we have indication here that this money was not just used to send out to other places, but also was to support the saints um, in the congregation itself, wherever that might be. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, it says, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. In other words, provide for their physical needs. And notice he says, don't let the church be burdened. In other words, if you can support uh, a widow that is part of your family, uh, then that's your responsibility to do. Don't depend on the church to use those funds for that support. Notice he goes on to say there that the church might relieve those who are truly widows. And if you look at the overall context there, he explains what he means by that. Those that would be truly widows are those that wouldn't have any uh, blood family to be able to give them the support that they would need. And so we see here a distinction being made, but we see that in this context that it talks about the church supporting uh, the saints that are there that, that have certain physical limitations. And we also see that this money was used for the support of the gospel being preached. And specifically, we see examples of churches sending money to preachers and supporting the work that they are doing. And that could be in a local sense or, again, as we have seen with aiding saints in need. Uh, oftentimes, this was used in sending money to other places where a particular preacher might be laboring and in need of support from a physical standpoint. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read some verses here where Paul was talking about these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 4 and read down through verse 14 there. So he asks a question. He says, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife 
as do also the other apostles, and the brothers of the Lord, and Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law itself say the same also? In verse 9, he says, It is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen, he asks, that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? He's talking about himself and Barnabas as those that would be laboring to preach the gospel. And so he answers that question. He says, for our sakes, no doubt. In other words, when these things were written, it wasn't specifically about just the oxen. Uh, it was a larger point that was being made. And so for our sakes, no doubt, he says, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So he makes it pretty plain there that those that would labor as preachers and teachers, uh, that they have a right to be supported by the church in those efforts. In Philippians chapter 4, we also see Paul talking about these things as he writes to those in Philippi. He says, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again, he says, for my necessities. And so, throughout the course of his life, at different times, Paul was supported by various different congregations as he was striving to teach the gospel. So we see those two main categories are where the church was directing these collected funds. And so as we think about ourselves today, as we are about to maybe use the Lord's money for this purpose or that purpose, we need to ask ourselves some questions in preparation for that to make sure that we are abiding by what the Scriptures reveal as correct. So the first question that we might ask is, will this accomplish the work of the church? We certainly see that that's what the early church used those funds for, was to accomplish the work of the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, as we think about, well, what is the work of the church? What is the purpose of the kingdom that Christ died to establish, that he purchased with his own blood? Verse 14 there, Paul says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice he says, the pillar and the ground 
of the truth. So the church is to be that shining light on the hill. It is to be proclaiming the gospel. It is to be educating the world about God's will so that they might come out of darkness and be saved. That is one of the primary things that we need to be engaged in. Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus himself was speaking here and he expresses, why did I come to the earth? What is my purpose? And if we can understand what Jesus' purpose was, it helps us understand our purpose as his followers, as his disciples. And Jesus said that the Son of Man has come, notice, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we, as his body, must be seeking to save that which was lost even today. In Ephesians chapter 4, here again, speaking about the church and the different offices that have been appointed in the church, it says Christ himself gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We know the word pastor there would reference uh, the office of an elder or bishop. And what is the purpose of all of these things? Well, verse 12, it says, this is for the equipping, notice, of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so all these verses that speak to the purpose of the body of Christ, we see that it largely revolves around education, doesn't it? And efforts to not only educate those that are lost in the world, but also to build the saints up and to edify one another so that we can continue to grow in our own knowledge, which will allow us to be more effective, won't it, as we go out into the world. And so as we think about some of the things that we purchase as the body of Christ. We purchase Bibles, don't we? Well, that certainly makes sense because we need to know what God has said and we need copies of his word. We are, of course, very blessed to live in a place and time where those copies are readily available, aren't they? And we can get them in a variety of different formats and media. Why do we have a copy machine in there? Well, again, that helps us to make copies of teaching material so that we can continue to educate ourselves and those that are outside the body about what the truth is. We have these screens and projectors and things, again, as a tool for education and teaching. We have uh, some tracks back there in the back. Some congregations you visit, you'll notice they have larger track boards and things. But again, these are all educational materials that are meant to equip the saints, as we have read, and to help us shine the truth. Again, microphones. You know, we don't just buy those because they're cool and uh, some neat gadget to have around, but we, we want people to be able to hear when someone is speaking. And so these things assist us in being effective as we teach the Word. Another question that we might ask is, does this facilitate a command or example that we have from God. 
We know that we have the command to worship, and we see that plainly stated by Christ himself in John 4, verse 23, there beginning. He says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we certainly have the command to assemble together to worship God. We want to do that not only with our passion and our emotion, which is what is suggested there by the in-spirit aspect of that, but we also want to temper that emotion and that passion with the truth. Make sure that the things that we are doing are what God has said to do. One of the things that we know that we are to do when we come together is to sing to one another. We know that we sing to build each other up, to admonish each other. We, of course, also praise our God as we do this. But Colossians 3 and verse 16 tells us that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching. Again, there we see the teaching aspect. And, and really, when you pay attention to the words that we sing, it it does educate us, doesn't it? It reminds us of spiritual truths. So we teach, we admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And so we have these hymn books that we use every week when we come together. Well, we use the Lord's money in that case to purchase those things so that we might facilitate this command to sing. What about the Lord's Supper? We have these trays and we purchase or somebody, I guess, buys the materials to make the unleavened bread and we have the fruit of the vine. We, we purchase those things. Well, why do we do that? Well, again, we have the command to partake of those things as the, the church collectively. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 here, uh, the apostle is reminding those in Corinth of the command that originated with Christ himself back shortly before he was crucified. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also originally had delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. And so as we would purchase uh, the table and the, the things, the elements that are specified here by the Lord, uh, we do that again to facilitate this command that we have been given to remember the Lord's death. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Hebrew writer is talking about and reminding us of the need of assembling together. He says there in verse 23 that we are to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, he says, is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but he says, exhorting one another. <clears throat> Pardon me, I had a little frog jump in my throat there. Uh, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, he says. Now, there are various ways that we could facilitate that command. We know that 
in the early church that oftentimes they would meet in different ones' homes. We see that example. Uh, we could rent a facility somewhere, but we could also certainly build a building which would facilitate this command to assemble and to worship and to admonish each other and so forth. And so again, we see how if we are using these things in the way that facilitates the fulfillment of God's commands, then God will be pleased with that, that use. Now, another important question as we think about these things is, Will this contradict God's will? Now, we see examples all around us of churches or congregations that would use the collected funds to do things that would be in conflict, don't we? With what God has expressed as acceptable and good. Let's think about singing again as an example. In Ephesians 5, we noticed the sister passage there in Colossians 3 a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, will begin there. He says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. In other words, when we're filled with alcoholic beverages, it, it produces something that is meaningless, behavior that is undesirable, that is not going to accomplish anything of use. On the contrary, he says we're to be filled with the Spirit. And if we want to think about the idea of being filled with the Spirit, what's the, the primary way that we can make sure we're being filled with the Spirit? Well, we can consume that which the Spirit has revealed, can't we? Which would be the Word of God. But as we're filled with the Spirit, he says again, as we had noted there in Colossians 3 and verse 16, that we're to express that knowledge that we are absorbing or to speak to one another. And in this instance, he talks about doing so in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as we've seen. Notice he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so it's very plain here when we look at this language that God wants us to sing, doesn't he? He wants us to make melody in our heart. In other words, the instrument, if you want to think about it being an instrument, what's the instrument? Well, it's to be our, our minds, our hearts, right? That's what we're plucking, if you will, in order to admonish each other and praise God. Well, if we bring in a, a piano or an organ, well, we're, we're not accomplishing that command, are we? We're now doing something different from what God has specified as appropriate. Now we're plucking the strings of, of an instrument, and that might sound good to our ears, and in most cases it does. If somebody knows how to play the piano, it sounds pretty, doesn't it? It's nice to listen to. But as we think about, again, the function of the church and what the church is to do in praise to God and worship to God, that is not what God said is appropriate. Sometimes we see where just a few of the members of the, the congregation kind of come up front and they sing to everybody else. Have you ever seen that? We call them choirs or things of that nature. Well, that doesn't fulfill the command either, does it? Because is he speaking to just the singers of the congregation as if they're a, a select group? Well, no, he's speaking to everybody, isn't he? Everybody's to be involved in this act of worship. 
And we could expand that. We see people that not only have the piano, but they bring in all kinds of other instruments as well and, and have more or less like a concert when the congregation would come together. And again, this would be a removal of themselves from the pattern that the New Testament specifies. What about some other ideas? In 1 Corinthians 11, we noted earlier about the Lord's Supper. We have the command to observe that. Certainly that would allow us then to purchase and, and make sure that we have the right elements to partake of to remember the Lord's death. In that same context, though, Paul also talks about common meals and having meals together. And sometimes we see uh, churches today where they'll build a, a kitchen on the side of the church building or they'll do things where they have these uh, meal halls or they call them fellowship halls, things of that nature. A lot of times you'll see where it's advertised in, in a way to kind of attract people and say, well, we have free donuts and coffee in the morning when you come to worship, so come in and, and enjoy those things. And it's attractive to people because we all like to eat, don't we, if we're honest? Even if we're on a diet, we, we still like to eat, even though we might be restricting ourselves for our health or to try and lose weight or something of that nature. But notice that Paul, as he is talking to those in Corinth, in, in fact, they were not observing the Lord's Supper correctly. And so a lot of what he says is to try and fix the problems that they had. But he says there in verse 33, Brethren, when you come together to eat, he says, wait for one another. And that's suggestive of the fact that this memorial is to be a collective effort of, of the saints together. But then he goes on and says, if anyone is hungry, in other words, if, if you're desiring to just eat something because you're actually hungry. This, this is something different from what the Lord's Supper is to be. It's not to fill our stomachs and make us feel not hungry or thirsty anymore. That's, again, for the specific purpose of remembering the Lord's body and blood. So if you're hungry, what's the instruction? He says, let him eat, notice, at home, lest you come together for judgment. And he says, the rest I will set in order when I come. So we see here very plainly pointed out that if we are to get together and have a meal or just to get together and enjoy food with one another, that we need to do that at home or in a, another facility that would be separate from the one that is designated for the purpose of the church assembling for worship. So a lot of it is common sense, really, when we think about how should we spend the Lord's money. Well, we like so many other things, we, we want to look at what God has said is right, and we want to follow what he said is right, don't we? We don't want to add anything in. We certainly don't want to leave anything out. And if we will follow those basic principles, we can be successful in using the Lord's money in the way that he intended for it to be used. We'll conclude this evening with Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. And there, Paul, as he wrote, he said, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We here in this place certainly want to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, and we strive for that. We strive to Simply follow what the Bible says, as we have stated a moment ago, 
so that the Lord will be well pleased with us. I hope that the study of these things has been interesting and helpful to you. And at this time, of course, as we are concluding our lesson, we have selected a song of invitation. If there's anyone here tonight who is in need of assistance spiritually, whether that would be a need to be baptized or whether you're a Christian and you need to confess something publicly, ask for forgiveness, or you just need to ask for prayers regarding something that you're struggling with in your life, we would love to assist you with those things. And so as we sing this song and we think about uh, the fact that we all will eventually stand before the throne of God, if there's anyone here who feels that a correction needs to be made, then take care of that now while we stand and while we sing.